Hi, welcome to Pop, a piece of peace. My name is Pastor Doug, and I'm recording right now on Tuesday, May 31st. But we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Usually we reduce our Sunday sermon down into a smaller nugget of what it typically is, but we've decided that this past Sunday, the topic that we discussed was too important to do so. And so here now is my entire sermon uh, as recorded live last Sunday in the Connection Center. Oh, I think Tony said it really well. There are times of great joy and celebration, and there are times where we cry and we struggle. We're in a sermon series. Today's the last day of it. It's through the Easter season called You Had One Job. And it's basically a reminder for us that God gives us, if we needed to boil it down to one thing that God wants of us, it's simply to love one another. And so we set this sermon series up weeks and weeks ago, and this title for today, We're Not Horrible, was the title that we came up with. And I've kind of joked around with staff before, and this really isn't the direction that we planned on this sermon to go, but we've joked around before with all the uh, Christian churches now that want to be relevant and the best and the biggest and, and all these catchphrases that we say about how cool we are. And, and I thought maybe our sign out front should say, eh, we're not horrible, right? Like, yeah, wouldn't that kind of be refreshing and real instead of some of the cliches that get thrown around? But that's really not the premise of what we're not horrible is about. It's basically this reminder, and this was going to be it all along, this reminder that what we do as people of faith is we gather together to make ourselves less horrible in how we interact with each other. The hope is we can come and learn to kind of see the way that God sees and treat people less horribly. And then Texas happened. Another one. 19 children, two adults. I don't know if you noticed, but we put some chairs out on the lawn last night. Some of our staff had the good idea to kind of make a powerful image and a reminder that these are real lives, not just news stories. We come together to talk about how do we be less horrible to each other? What do we what do we do with it? So maybe that's the common ground that we can all have. Wherever you are on the issue of gun control or gun violence, maybe the common ground is none of us, and I'm convinced of this, none of us in this space are horrible people. We all want the best thing moving forward. We just don't always know what it is. So I was thinking in terms of what happens in our country when a political hot button issue happens. And I was reminded of the old elementary school sport that we used to play, dodgeball. Remember dodgeball? Some of you were probably anti-dodgeball. I loved dodgeball. Surprise, surprise. But remember how the game started. You'd put a bunch of balls in the middle of the gym floor and then everyone would go to the 
opposite wall, whichever team you were on, and then someone would blow a whistle, you'd run, grab a ball, and you'd run back to the wall. That's what happens when a political hot button issue comes up in our country. We all run to the middle, we grab our ball, and we go to the opposite polar side, and nothing happens because we go to the extremes. And the sport is meant where... Is that me? The sport is meant, it, it, it develops, it unfolds by somehow people coming toward the center and engaging with each other. That's how the sport's meant to be played. That's how it moves forward. Many of you know one of my favorite ministries here is pub theology, and several years ago we decided to have a pub theology based on gun control and gun violence. It was the worst pub theology I've ever had. Because you know what happened? Everyone ran in the middle, got their ball, and went to the other end. And it was all the tired cliches that happened over and over. Guns don't kill people, people kill people. Oh, we got to take away all the guns. And it was like both extremes on the opposite side of the wall, nobody willing to have a conversation and change where they were with it. I've been here 17-ish, 18 years or so, and I know a lot of you, and I know a lot of your thoughts on this. And I've been surprised where some of you are and not surprised where... Some of you are. Some of you want all guns taken away. Get them out of here. Some of you want no change whatsoever. It's not an issue of guns. I know for a fact some people in here carry a gun in here. I know some of you might be comforted by that. I know some of you might be horrified by that. We are a community that's all over the place in terms of this issue. We're just all over the place. And I know some of you might be sitting there right now saying, Pastor Doug, because I've heard it a lot in the past, I don't want politics in church. And you might be thinking that right now. I get it. I don't either. I don't like it when we get into politics in church. It, 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 it doesn't feel good. But I'll say this. When it's an issue of justice, and in particular, when it's an issue that points us back to the one job that we've been given, to love one another, especially when we're talking the least of these, then we can't hide. We have to be able to talk. Let's go back to dodgeball. I remember, as I said, I was one of the kids that loved this game. And so I would run, grab a ball, run back to the wall. But then I was quickly on the, on the front trying to, trying to pelt away. And, and as a result, I usually got bopped right away, which usually meant that I spent most of the game, if you remember the way the game is played, when you get hit with the ball, you have to go stand on the wall. And there's either, either the rule, you're done for the game, or sometimes if someone caught a ball, then you could come back in. 
But then I remember, because I would often watch the game unfold from the wall, I remember there was always a kid, and we'll call him Billy, that was on my team that wouldn't leave the wall. He'd be like the last player left, and there'd be like a hundred people on the other side. But, but Billy's just standing, hugging the wall, and it, when you're standing outside of the game, you're like, come on, get out here. The game is played over here. And so nothing happens. Nothing, the game just goes on and on because Billy wouldn't leave the wall. And the game's meant change happens when we meet in the middle. So if as Christians, if as Christians we don't say anything, then we leave it up to everyone else. <laughs> I do a uh, devotion, it's called Pocket Fuel, and it's um, really great devotion. And this past week, the woman who's writing it, a guest woman who's writing the devotions, she focuses on mental health. And she brought up a really interesting uh, thought that I never thought about. And it has to do with thoughts. Callie, do you mind? I'm preaching, okay? <laughs> You'll get your chance someday. Did you hear that? I've just determined that your child will be a pastor. <laughs> so this woman who writes this devotion was talking about thoughts. And she made an interesting point that our thoughts, they're all in the past. It's, it, thoughts are not truth. They're all in the past. And they're, they're all... All of your thoughts are the result of your past experiences. So right now, whatever you're thinking about what I'm saying, you're already in the past. Nothing of our thoughts has anything to do with the future, which I found really fascinating to think about because we think that our thoughts determine our future, but our thoughts are all based in past, which, which her intent in writing this is we're all capable of changing our thoughts. Jesus puts it this way in the Gospel of Matthew. He's talking to the religious leaders, and he says, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. See, what he's saying to the religious leaders is, you're trapped in your past thoughts, and I'm creating a brand new thing, and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're subscribing to it. They get it. You're stuck in your past thoughts. And they're not going anywhere. The kingdom of God is for those who can see something new happening. So there's this myth about healthy churches. There's this myth that says healthy churches are a result of the absence of conflict. You probably heard that, right? None of us like a church when there's conflict going on. But do you have a family? Does your family always agree on everything when you get together for Thanksgiving? I know mine doesn't. We don't see eye to eye on everything. But you know what I base our family's health on? The fact that we love each other. And that we're able to have 
difficult conversations where we might disagree and we respect each other enough to know that we might grow from the conversation, that we might be able to somehow come into the middle of the space and hear what someone else thinks and acknowledge it and maybe have the, the possibility of my thought doesn't determine my future, but it might shape, the, these conversations might help to shape something new. Been reading a book by a guy named John Pavlovich, which I can't say very easily, but he has this quote. He says, the most transformative communities are places where people live together in the unknowing, admitting that they're trying to figure out, and I love this word, the unfigureoutable. The unfigureoutable. Doesn't it feel like what we're talking about is that? I don't know what it means to figure it out. It might be unfigureoutable, but it means we still have to try and giving each other a break when they understandably fall on their faces, which we all do. But we've got to try. Most of you, we know the Second Amendment comes up all the time. Right to bear arms. Do you know the Ninth Amendment? I found it fascinating. I was listening to a podcast that involved a woman named uh, Heidi Schreck, and she does a one-person play in Washington, D.C., based on the Constitution. And she, she talks about her, her uh, childhood understanding of the Constitution and the naivety involved in it, and then her adult understanding of the Constitution. And she talks about how she has a love-hate relationship with it, probably like a lot of us would say about scriptures. <laughs> we, have, we sometimes love it, sometimes not so much. But... But it says this, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights, and certain rights, you could almost put a, like a certain rights with a question mark. Huh? Certain rights? The ones that we all know but we can't name. Shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So what this is, is, is the, the founding fathers realized that, that there are so many rights that we should just know, but we don't know how to list them all. There's too many to list. Do you have the right to brush your teeth? Yeah, sure. But how long do you want this document to be? <laughs> so there's some rights that we just know in our gut that we have. The Constitution can't tell you all your rights because it doesn't know. It doesn't know. They wrote it in such a way, much like I talked about Scripture last week, that it's supposed to be fluid. It's supposed to evolve as we evolve. It's supposed to be a living document. Chief Justice at one time William O. Douglas, which I love that name. William O. Douglas says of the Ninth Amendment that it is a penumbra. You ever heard that word? Penumbra. I hadn't heard that word, and you know I love words. But what it is is, is I'm kind of in the light right here. No pun intended. But I'm in the light right here. You're a little bit more in the shadows. A penumbra is the space in between. It's the space in between. It is, it is not yet the light, and it's not the dark. It's the space in between. And I love that image. It's like, 
He's acknowledging that there, as we evolve as a culture, as a country, that there's space in between that we're going to have to wade, and it's where the risks take place. So here's my call to you. Are we willing to start with the fact that none of us are horrible? Not one of us here is horrible. Well... None of us is horrible. But are we willing to get off of the wall to realize that our thoughts are just the past, that they can evolve? Are we willing to enter into the middle or the penumbra and at least have conversation, at least move somewhere? Because I'll tell you, Callie needs you. Nora needs you. Huneman girls need you. We're people of faith. Are we willing to enter into the penumbra?